You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Olds, Alberta. It is our prayer that through this ministry, we will see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, or to let us know how we can be praying for you, visit us online at www.redemptionolds.com or send us an email at info at redemptionolds.com. All right. Well, it is Family Worship Sunday, um, which is one of my favorite Sundays of the month. Um, we keep the kids in with us uh, because we love you, kids, and uh, you're part of the church, and we want to have you here. Um, and so um, there are fill-ins for you. If you didn't get a fill-in, um, raise your hand because we want you to have those uh, fill-ins ready to go because there is candy after the service uh, if you fill it in. So anybody not get one? Anybody need one? couple up here. We good? Up, up here, Marlena. Uh, as well as Bibles. We want you to have God's Word in your hands. Um, that's the most important thing. Um, we, we come together to uh, hear from the Lord, not from me. I have nothing of value. Um, all I have is God's Word. And so we want to turn together to that. Um, everybody got what they need? Ready to go? We'll turn with me to Genesis 5. Um, that's where we're going to uh, spend our time this morning, Genesis 5. We see uh, as we come to uh, a new chapter here, uh, kind of a, a shift in scenes, um, and what we see here is the line of faith, the line of faith. How many, we got our kids in with this morning, so um, I think this is a safe question. How many of you have seen a Disney movie? Anybody? Anybody? Some of you have never seen Disney movies? I don't know. How many of you have actually been to Disneyland in California? I know some of you have. All right, a few less. How many have been to the ride, the Pirates of the Caribbean, in Disneyland in California? Yeah, my kids have. Peter, you went to Disneyland and you didn't go on the Pirates of the Caribbean? Come on, man. (sighs) Well, there is a theory. uh, Maybe you could tack the word conspiracy on in front of that, but we'll leave it as a theory for now. um, That underneath the ride, the Pirates of the Caribbean in Disneyland, Florida, is where Mr. Walt Disney is buried. More specific than that, not only is he buried there, so goes this theory, but he's actually frozen there. See, Walt Disney, um, this we know, he, he actually lived his life with like a terrifying dread of death. It was always on his mind. It bothered him deeply. And, uh, and so um, you'd think someone with a, a, a paralyzing fear of death would know better, but he was also uh, a very heavy smoker. Um, You'll often see pictures of of Walt with two fingers like that. That's because they edited out the cigarette for the kids. Um, And so tragic, but not all that shocking um, that he was eventually, uh, in November 1966, diagnosed with lung cancer. And uh, it was terminal, and so he spent his last few months 
saying goodbye to family and friends and getting things in order. Um, But according to some, he also spent that time preparing uh, in a very unusual way. You see, the the 60s were this time of like great scientific advancements and everything was happening. It seemed like anything would be possible or, or soon would be possible as humanity was marching forward in technology. And one of the things that was kind of big on the radar in the 60s was this idea of cryogenic freezing, that they could take your body and freeze it at super cool temperatures so that it wouldn't decay. And then later on, as humanity inevitably figured out immortality and how to fix the body, they could unfreeze you and you would live forever. And so the story is that Walt Disney had himself frozen and buried under uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Um, sadly, there's, there's really no evidence to support that. Um, there's a, a lot of evidence, actually, that he was cremated and is buried in plot G43 in the Forest Lawn Cemetery in Los Angeles, California, but that's, that's not a fun story. Um, but there's a reason that story grabs us. There's a reason people still tell that story, because we love the idea of living forever, right? We love the idea of living forever. Kids, you getting the fill-ins? I should say, too, if, if the fill-in is too much for you, if you're not into the whole writing thing yet, draw me a picture, and a picture will work, too. Um, we love the idea of living forever. We don't like death. We want to try to escape death if we can. Everybody knows Christopher Columbus, right? Discovered America, 1492. Um, did you know only about 20 years later there was another European um, that discovered uh, America down on the southern end? Christopher Columbus um, found America looking for trade routes to India. Uh, A Spaniard named Ponce de Leon found America. Do you know what he was looking for? Somebody knows. The Fountain of Youth. There's still a little garden down there. My wife and I were down there. We didn't pay the extra $20 to go see the Fountain of Youth. But supposedly, um, that's where it is. Um, Magical spring of water that would give you life forever. Um, we don't like death. We want to escape it. And that's, that's pretty logical, actually. If you, if you stop and think about it, death is not technically a natural part of this world. We were not made to die. And yet, sooner or later, whether you're Walt Disney or Ponce de Leon, death comes for us all. Or does it? Or does it? So we look at Genesis chapter 5, that becomes an interesting question. We're going to turn up the speed today. Um, We're going to do a whole chapter at a time. Um, We're cruising now. Um, Have a look with me. Genesis chapter 5, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter for us, and then we'll work through it and uh, unpack it together. Genesis 5, starting in verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, made him male and female. He created them and blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. 
Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. And thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters, and thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters, and thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters, thus the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, it is breathed out by you every verse of it, and it is profitable for teaching, for training, for reproof, for correction in our lives. God, we need it. Lord, as we look into these verses today, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us soft hearts to be corrected by your word, to be shaped by it? God, I pray for the kids in with us this morning. So thankful for them. I pray you would give them the ability to listen and be attentive. God, that you'd be working in their hearts, that they would see your glory. Lord, that this morning they would see just the ugliness and the pain of sin and the wonder of your grace and the goodness that it is to walk with you. Lord, would you be at work in our hearts through your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, we followed the line of Cain um, through chapter 4. Um, the family line of Cain is a line of sin, right? It's the line of sin. Cain had a brother. Kids, what was Cain's brother's name? Abel. And Cain and Abel got along great, and they were best of friends, and they lived happily ever after. Why are you guys looking at me? What happened? Did I miss something? What did Cain do to his brother? He killed him. He murdered his brother. 
Not a good start. And you know what? It just gets worse from there. The line of Cain, you can, you can read it at home later, um, is a line of sin. Cain is sent out. He's banished into the wilderness. Um, and his kids are a mess. And they reject God. And they, one of them has a couple of wives. And then there's, there's more murder. It's, it's ugly. It's ugly. But chapter 4 ends with this brief little comment. Adam had another son and named him. One of the Pritchard kids should know. What? Shout it out. Seth. Seth. There it is. Seth. And Seth was the line of faith. Right? Seth is a a fresh start. So chapter 5, we're we're leaving behind the line of sin. We're kind of leaving behind this, this broken mess. And now we're following the line of Seth. And the first thing we see in verses 1 and 2 is the blessing of God. The blessing of God. Again, this chapter is a chapter of hope. Maybe you read it or you listened to me read it and you're like, nope, that's just a chapter of weird names, right? Um, No, there's a lot going on here. This is full and rich. God is trying to teach us stuff, even in this called a genealogy, this list of names. Um, This is a chapter of hope. The promise of a rescuer is still alive. It didn't die. Right now, it's not coming through Abel because he was murdered. It's not coming through Cain because he was wicked. But, but now through Seth, there's another fresh start, a new beginning. That's what this chapter is all about. Um, verse 1 says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Now, as you're reading through the book of Genesis, you're going to see that phrase. It's significant. It shows up 11 times. Um, the generations of Adam. Um, Moses, who's writing this book for the Israelites um, with God guiding him. Um, He uses that phrase as kind of like chapter titles, right? Genesis is a chapter book and not just the numbers, um, but these different sections open up. And so um, chapter 2 verse 4, we saw this is the the generations of the heavens and the earth. That's the first one. And then um, here we have these are the generations of Adam. Next in Chapter 6, verse 9, we'll see the generations of Noah, and then we see the generations of Noah's son Shem, and then Terah, and Isaac, and Esau, and Jacob, and and the book is split up into these parts. So you can watch for that as you're reading through the book of Genesis. And here what we have is the, the generations of Adam, which means God's starting fresh. Cain and Abel behind us, um, going back to the beginning, reminding us Um, his readers, that God created man. God made man in his own image. God created the male and female in the likeness of God. He's the one who did it. God created them, and God blessed them. God blessed them. Right? That's what the Garden of Eden is all about. It's this place of of blessing, of fullness, of God's provision of life and, and rest and goodness. This short little introduction here, it's like a palate cleanser, right? If you're like a professional food taster or maybe you're at a super fancy restaurant with lots of different courses, um, different tastes kind of build up in your mouth and then they affect the next thing that you eat. And and so you'd have a palate cleanser, maybe like a a sprig of mint or a little scoop of of fruit sorbet and and it kind of washes everything clean so you can start fresh on the next bite. That's what this passage is, right? All the sin and the muck and the... Oh, but 
hey, stop. God created Adam and Eve. He made them in the garden. He, and he blessed them. And he loved them. God is good. God is the God of life and the God of blessing. He loves his creation. His plan, his design for them was, was for their good, right? Remember where this, this whole series began back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? God created, what's the phrase that God said over and over again through chapter 1? Do you remember? God said, created something and then he says, somebody said it, it was good, right? Over and over, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then he stops and he steps back and he says, behold, it is all very good. That's what God created, that's what God gave to his, his creation to us. God is a God of blessing, of joy, of life. We so easily lose sight of that. We so easily get confused on that. I distinctly remember growing up in the church. I was not saved, but I knew all the right answers, and I jumped through all the right hoops. I did all the right things, but secretly I, I was living in sin and rebellion against God. And, and being kind of stuck in the darkness of my own heart, I quickly began to doubt God, to question God, even to attack God's goodness, right? Like if, if God is so good, then why is my life hard? If God is so good, then, then why would he judge me? If God is so good, why do I feel so rotten when I think about him? And, and we begin to take the, the darkness and the shame and the, the guilt of sin, and we don't want to put it on us, so we just kind of stick that to God. God is angry. God isn't kind. This is God's fault. Verse 1 and 2 remind us, no, 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 no. God is good. God created humanity in his image, and he loves them. He loves them. God is not the root of, of your pain and your frustration and your suffering. God is the God of blessing. The problem's not God. The problem is our sin. The problem is our sin. So we need to start there firmly grounded in the, the goodness of God, the blessing of God. We have to keep that kind of this kind of immovable pillar, um, this cornerstone as we begin then to build our understanding and view of this world. First and foremost, the blessing of God. Secondly then, we see the reign of death. We don't get to bask too long uh, in the sunshine of the blessing of God uh, until the dark cloud kind of rolls back in. And so the reign of death shows up all the way through this passage. I'm not going to read it all again. Um, but what we find here is, is a genealogy uh, of ten generations. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. Um, just going to point out, we've got a few of those covered. We, we've got a Seth and an Adam, a Jared, um, and a Noah. So we need some Methuselahs, Mahalalels, Kenans. Um, the first thing you probably notice, though, when you read this, these guys got old. Do you see that? you see some of the numbers through there? These guys lived a long time. Um, how many of you think your parents are pretty old? Parents, no holding hands down. Yep, yep. Okay. How many of your grandparents are really old? You guys have some old grandparents? All right. 
Well, Seth was 912 years old. Kenan lived to 815. Jared lived to 962. That's really old. Really old. And of course, the oldest man in the whole Bible, Methuselah, coming in at 969 years old. He almost made it to 1,000 years. That's crazy. The oldest person alive today, um, her name is Mariah Brenyas, and uh, on March 4th, she's going to turn 116. Like, that's pretty old. But Jared didn't even have Enoch until he was 162. He's having kids. So some people would look at this and say, see, the Bible is a fairy tale. It's a myth. It's not true. Nobody lives that old. It doesn't happen. Well, it doesn't happen today. Um, But I believe that the ultimate author of the Bible is God. God doesn't lie to us. God doesn't mislead us. God speaks clearly. And so when the Bible says that Seth lived to 912 years old, I'm going to believe that Seth lived to 912 years old. I don't know how that works. I can't really explain that. I don't have to. That's not my job. I can leave that to God. And, and someday I'll say, okay, God, you tell him, because I, I don't know. Um, there's some theories. There's some ideas out there. Um, um, there's a, a graphic. Yeah, there we go. Um, here's kind of the lifespans of the Bible. So Adam and Seth and Enoch and, and, uh, and Kenan and down it goes. And then it's at Noah that it kind of begins to, to drop off. Um, it's possible. Um, one, one theory that some Christian scientists have put out, maybe there was a, a canopy of water around the earth that was heavier. There's some language in the creation story that maybe you could read that way. Um, and that would have increased the barometric pressure and the oxygen content. And maybe that explained the, the longer lifespan. Maybe, maybe that explained dinosaurs living so long and growing so big. Uh, and that would have ended then at the flood as that canopy collapsed in and the world is covered in water and then God forms the oceans and the whole thing changes. Maybe. Um, that's just a, a theory. That's a possibility. Um, it's also possible that the uh, just the corrupting effects of sin took a little while, took some generations as kind of our genetics broke down over um, the generations and, and the Bible doesn't say. Um, it is interesting to look, though, um, and, and this, again, is just kind of for fun. Um, look at the next, uh, the next graphic there. Um, you guys have this one on your fill-in, and it's super tiny. I trust that your kid eyes are better than my old man eyes. Um, I'm not old. Methuselah was old. This is great. Um, but if you do the math and you start to look at where people lived and how long they lived, um, Methuselah overlapped with Adam for like 243 years. So Methuselah definitely would have known Adam, talked with him. That's cool. Interesting, Methuselah died the year of the flood. We don't know. I kind of think maybe the Lord, maybe he was pretty old already. Maybe the Lord took him before the flood. My wife says, no, I don't think so. I bet you he died in the flood. We don't know. Um, But he died the year of the flood, and so he would have known not just Noah, but Noah's son, Shem. They would have overlapped uh, for almost 100 years. If we look at Genesis 11, we see that Shem was one of the last long livers. He lived 600 years, and that means that Shem um, would have died when Abraham was 150 years old. 
Isaac was already born. And so Abraham, at 150, could have heard the creation story from Shem, who had heard it from Methuselah, who heard it from Adam, who was there. That's cool. That's really neat. But again, that's just for fun, getting a little more serious. As we look down this list, um, once we kind of get over the shock of how long these guys lived, um, the other end becomes a bit imposing. It becomes hard to ignore this relentlessly repeated phrase that runs from top to bottom. God had warned Adam, if you disobey me, if you rebel against me, if you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, you will surely, what? Kids, what do you say? You will die. You'll die. If you sin, you'll die. The serpent then crept into the garden and he began to whisper in Eve's ear to tempt her, showing her that the, the fruit of the tree and says, look, it, looks, it doesn't look good to eat. It doesn't look good for food. Doesn't it look like a delight to the eyes? Doesn't it look desirable to make you wise? And he contradicts God's warning. The serpent says, no, you will not surely die. Eve doubted God's goodness. She was tempted by the promise of Satan, by the, the tempting, delicious-looking nature of the fruit of, of, of sin. And she took the fruit of the tree and she ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her. And the result of that decision shows up for generations to come. Just scan your eyes down, chapter 5. Um, look at the last little words in each little paragraph. If you're a Bible highlighter, I think these are worth highlighting. Eight times, and he died, 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 and he died. Ouch. Sure, they lived long, but, but God created a world of, of life. And here they are, dying, one after another, after another, after another. Sin brings death. If there's any doubt, like the, the verdict is in. God was telling the truth. Satan was lying. Rebellion against God brought pain and suffering and death. And so even as we enter this new era, this, this new line of Seth, the faithful line, death still reigns. Death is still there. In the line of Cain, um, we expect it, right? He had murdered his brother. He set himself up kind of shaking his fist at God. But Seth, Seth is the fresh start. It was time for, in the time of Seth, that people began to, to call on the name of the Lord, and yet they're still born out of Adam. They're still inheriting sin and walking in sin. Death continues even here. Sin brings death. Now, just as we think about that in our world today, um, that statement is true, I think, in two different ways. It's true, one, in a very general way, a very broad way. Because of sin in general, our world is full of death, right? Just because of the, the fact of sin exists in this world, starting from Adam, every baby will die. We have diseases like cancer and heart disease and lung disease. We have diabetes and Alzheimer's and pneumonia. 
Because of sin in general, we have things like floods and earthquakes and hurricanes. The world wasn't created as this kind of out-of-control chaos. It was created with order. It was good. It was sin that set all of this stuff spiraling out of control. And so there's sin in just a general way that brings death. But it's also true in a very specific way. Because of our specific sin, there is death in our lives, right? Sometimes that's actual death. Sometimes that is I sin and I make a a dumb choice and it kills me. Oftentimes it's just the, we could say the stench of death. It's the brokenness of this life. Because of our specific sins that we commit, we have broken relationships. We have broken families. We have addictions and destructive habits. All of the, the pain and the suffering and the garbage in our lives comes down to either the the general effects of sin in this world or my specific sin. But over and above all of that, more heartbreaking, more gut-wrenching than all of those things put together, and those are a lot of things to put together, is the effect of sin that is, that is both, at the same time, it's the most general and broad, and it's the most personal and individual and specific. Both because of Adam's sin in the garden and how that affected the whole human race, and because of my personal sinful decisions, sin causes death in my relationship with God. God is good. God is righteous and holy. He hates sin. He hates everything that is evil and wicked. The fact that we are sinners and we're born in sin as just part of the human race, as descendants of Adam, and then we make sinful decisions and we live in sin, it means that we're now under the the judgment of God. That's the fallout of sin. That's, That's where sin takes us. Just like the fruit in the garden, sin is so appealing. Sin is promises delight. It promises joy and satisfaction. It promises to, to make us whole, right? Eve said it looks good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. It was desirable to make her wise. Sin promises us the world, and all it delivers is death. Kids, you feel this, right? You know this. You've been through this. It was the right thing to hit your brother. It felt like the only thing that could be done in the moment. It was the right thing to disobey my parents. It felt good to, to steal that candy in the, in the moment. It seems right at the time. It makes so much sense in that time. But in the end, it just leads to suffering. Pain. Your parents discipline, which is there to to teach you about God's discipline. Parents, we feel this too. It felt like the right thing to do to stick it to the government and cheat on my taxes. They don't deserve it. It was right for me to lose it at my neighbor. He was being a... It was the right thing. It felt 
so good and, and satisfying to slip down to the computer late at night. We live in a world of pain and suffering and hardship because sin makes all of these promises and we believe them. And then it delivers death, emptiness, suffering. We live lives filled with pain and suffering and hardship. And we live in a world filled with pain and suffering and hardship. And if we continue in sin, we are destined for an eternity of pain and suffering and hardship. That's the reign of death. It's a big deal. Even over the righteous line, even over the faithful line of Seth, um, death reigns. And death is God's warning that he's going to judge. That there are consequences. Satan said, no, no, God will never care. He won't find out. You're gonna, it will be better for you. You won't surely die. God says, oh no, I will judge. That time is coming. So the reign of death looms over this, but, but if we look a little bit closer, thank the Lord, if we look just a little bit closer. Any of you growing up watching Sesame Street? Is that even still on? Some of you? One of these things just doesn't belong here. One of these things just isn't the same. Right? You're reading through this list. Kids, we see this reign of death down through the generations. Who doesn't belong? Who doesn't fit? What's his name? Enoch. What's going on with Enoch? And he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and God took him. That's different. Something's going on here. We've got to pay attention. Instead of he died, God took him. Look with me, verses 21 to 24. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God after he had fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. And thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. The middle of this list of death and Enoch escapes. We don't know exactly what happened, um, how it happened. It, 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 we're just not told. Uh, I've spent a lot of my childhood wondering what that looked like for, for Enoch. Did he get like beamed up like Star Trek or was it a, you know, what happened there? We don't know. But one day he was there. He was hanging out with his son Methuselah, maybe playing with his grandkids. And, and the next day he was not. He wasn't there anymore. He was, he was gone. The reason wasn't death. The reason is that God took him. God spared Enoch from death. In the whole history of the world, there are, there are two people who have had this privilege. One is Enoch. Who's the other one? Elijah. Elijah got taken up in a chariot of fire. So Enoch, taken up by God, why? Why is Enoch spared? Like, we want to know, Right? This is the fountain of youth that we're looking for. This is better than getting your head frozen. We're interested. 
Each stop along this genealogy follows a a very obvious pattern. You probably picked up on it as I was reading. You knew where this was going next, every next section. The same details in the same order, how long they lived before they had a son, the name of the son, how long they lived after the son. They had other sons and daughters, the total years of their life, and then they died. So each Each section has that same pattern. With Enoch, the pattern starts off the same. He lived 65 years. He fathered Methuselah. But then, instead of saying that after Methuselah, he lived 300 years, it says after Methuselah, he walked with God 300 years. And then instead of saying all the days of Enoch were 365 years and he died like all the others, it says all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So twice, where Moses could have just written, he lived, he replaces that. He says, Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. That was his life. His life was was walking with God. Other than Elijah, every other human that has ever lived has died, not Enoch Enoch walked with God and he was taken. Like, how cool is that? Hebrews 11.5 tells us this. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So it's interesting, the the author of Hebrews takes that phrase, walked with God, and he understands it to mean he pleased God. Enoch, by faith, walked with God, and that pleased God, and so Enoch was spared from death. To walk with God is a beautiful metaphor. Um, What does it mean to to walk with someone? Back in the the dark years that shall be forever banished from memory when all of my favorite coffee shops were closed. Um, Rather than going out for coffee with people, as I love to do, um, I would say, hey, let's go for a walk together. And we would walk around town. Walking together means, first, simply that you're going the same direction, right? You, You can't walk together if you're going different directions, if you're going to different places. If you're walking together, you're walking the same direction. And of course, it's more than just moving your feet beside one another. To walk together implies relationship. You're talking together. You're sharing back and forth. You, you're getting to know one another. Um, when my wife and I were dating, we had agreed never to be alone in any house together, but we still wanted some level of privacy. We wanted to get to know each other, and, and so we would go for hours and go for walks together. We go walk out in the, in the park together, and, and, and I suppose there were other people there. I don't remember them um, because I was out for a walk with my girl, right? Enoch had a personal, ongoing relationship with God. Because of that, God rescued him from death. Now, it's tempting as you read this to think Enoch must have been special. Enoch must have been this this super godly man. I know I was used to to read this passage and think, well, that's great for Enoch. I ain't getting there. I'm not reaching that. I'm no Enoch. That's just a burden now. He's some amazingly holy person. He's so much more holy than everyone else that God even just spared him from death. Now, I don't want to 
downplay Enoch's character. This is all we know about Enoch, and it's good. Enoch walked with God. That's a beautiful thing. But this isn't about Enoch, right? We're not meant to read this and think, wow, look at Enoch. It was not as though Enoch lived such a good life, walked so closely with God that he was the the only one who escaped death because of how good he was. This isn't a statement about Enoch. This is a promise of God. This is a promise from God to us. So we get to look at Enoch and find some hope there for us. God is making a statement in the middle of the reign of death. He's saying, but if you walk with me, there's hope of life. There's hope of life. And that's not just from Enoch. That's, that's for all of us. Because of our sin, the world is broken and painful. It's filled with suffering and, and decay and death. But those who walk with the Lord will have life. God is opening this, this window for us to see that death will not have the final word. Death is not the end. By sparing Enoch from from physical death, God is making uh, a visible promise of eternal life. Life with him. God is saying, look, walk with me and you will have life. We often talk about faith with God, faith in God, as if it's kind of a one-time thing right? Something you could do on a a Friday afternoon and just be done with it. I I asked Jesus into my heart, period. I gave my life to Jesus. The Bible doesn't talk that way. The Bible speaks about walking with God. It says that this, this whole life opened before him. There's a There's a starting point. There's a a day that you began to walk with God, but we continue walking with Him. It's ongoing day by day by day, seeking to follow Him, His will, wherever He leads, holding tightly to to fellowship with Him and friendship with Him. This is is important to me. I'm ready to give up. Anything that would cause conflict between me and Him, I'll be done with that. I'll throw it away. I don't want it. That sickening feeling of disgust. When we do something that causes a a distance between us, a wedge between us. For those who will walk with God that way, there's a promise of life. Kids, listen to me. Parents too. The important question is not, did you invite Jesus into your heart? Those words aren't in the Bible. The important question is not, um, did you at one time trust in God? The important question is, are you walking with God? Are you walking with Him? Do you have a close, ongoing, relational, personal walk with Him? Are you going the same way He's going? Are you getting to know Him and love Him? Are you spending time with Him? Are you more and more doing the things that bring you together and less and less doing the things that drive you apart? 
Are you walking with him? And yes, most of us will still face physical death. It's true. For all the rest of the line of Seth and for Moses and for Abraham and for David and for Paul, we're we're still going to live out our lives in this broken, painful world. We will still face physical death at the end of this life. unless, Unless Jesus comes back, that's what's ahead of us. But listen listen to how Psalm 73 echoes the the passage about Enoch. Psalm 73, verse 23, says, says this to God, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You give me your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see the walking there? He says to God, you're, you're continually with me. I'm always, we're always together. He talks about God holding his right hand. He's listening to God's counsel, and, and then he says, This is my hope that that afterward, afterward, after what? After death, after the end of this broken life of pain, you will receive me to glory. And and if you're nerdy, um, that word receive is actually the same word that's used as Enoch that's translated took in Genesis 5. Enoch, God received Enoch, God will receive me. That's the promise of God for those who, who walk with him. God invites you to walk with him. What a beautiful thing. If you're not walking with him, then that will need some changes, right? If you're walking the opposite way of God, then you're going to need to turn around. That's called repent. Turn away from the the sin and the, the promises and lies of this world and begin walking the same way as God. And then faith, trusting in him. Brings us back to the start of the passage. Remember verses 1 and 2, the, the blessings of God. Sin brings pain and suffering and death. Walking with God brings blessing. With Him, there's, there's life. Now, there's one more section to look at a little more closely. Um, we saw the blessing of God in verses 1 and 2. The reign of death scattered throughout the chapter and and then this this hope of life in Enoch. There's one more notable character in this genealogy. Enoch is the father of Methuselah and Methuselah is the father of Lamech. And we read of Lamech starting in verse 28. um, And in Lamech we see the promise of rescue. The promise of rescue. Let me read these verses for us, starting in verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord had cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So about 70 years after Enoch is taken up, 
Um, his grandson, Lamech, has a son. And we're told that Lamech named his son Noah. And he tells us why. He tells us this is why he named him Noah, verse 29, saying, Out of the ground the Lord has cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. It's interesting. It's kind of this way with a number of the Old Testament names. Noah doesn't actually have a meaning. It's just a, it's just a name. Um, but it sounds like it, it rhymes with um, the word for peace, relief. And so Lamech tells us that's why I named him that, because he's going to bring us peace. He's going to bring us relief, rest. And Lamech is very specific about the peace that he's hoping for. He talks about the cursed ground. He talks about relief from the, the painful toil. That, that language is familiar. Lamech is talking about relief from the curse of sin. When Adam and Eve had first sinned and God was explaining to them uh, in the garden, this is the, this is the fallout of sin. This is what's going to happen now because of your sin. Genesis 3.17, he says this, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. That word pain there, that's the the same word that Lamech uses, translated painful toil. This one's going to give us relief from that painful toil. Actually, it's the same word that God used to the woman, saying, I'm going to increase your pain in childbearing. Lamech is declaring his hope, his faith in God's promises. He knew Genesis 3.15. He probably heard it from Adam himself. He knew that God had promised to send a rescuer, the serpent crusher, the one who would undo all the chaos and the damage caused by sin. And through the eyes of faith, Lamech is saying, this son is going to give us relief. Now, Lamech doesn't have the whole story. Lamech doesn't know the details of God's plan. Noah would not be the ultimate rescuer. But Noah would be a rescuer. Noah would be a picture, a a promise of what that ultimate rescuer would one day be like. So God's already pointing forward to that. Noah would be faithful to the Lord in a generation where no one else listened to God. Second Peter tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And of course, kids, what do you know about Noah? What did Noah build? Yeah, the ark. The ark. Oh man, I wish you guys were in again two weeks from now as we talk about Noah's ark and dig into that story. I'm sure you'll get it in children's ministry. Um, Noah's ark is not a story about little animals. That's not the point. Sorry parents, a little spoiler alert. We're going to we're going to jump ahead. Um, Noah's Ark is a story about what? Sunday school answer. Jesus. Did you know that? Noah's Ark is about Jesus. It's full of it. In the days of Noah, God would send judgment in the form of a flood. And one way God would bring relief to this world by wiping out every wicked, rebellious sinner off the face of the earth. But through Noah, he would also make a way of escape. He would protect those who trusted in him. He would shelter them from the storm of his wrath. And he would rescue all those who who had hidden themselves inside 
the ark. The ark is a picture of Jesus. God is, is saying, ultimate judgment is coming, and this is how I save. This is how I rescue. So in naming Noah, what we see is that, that Lamech is trusting in God's promises. He's waiting. He's looking to God to rescue him from this broken world. And it's really interesting if you stop and remember, um, there's two Lamechs. Remember chapter 4 had a Lamech. There's a Lamech in the line of Cain. That Lamech from the line of Cain is the Lamech who rejected God's design and decided to have two wives. Lamech who, whose three sons were the inventors of the economy and the arts and technology. That Lamech didn't walk with God. That Lamech lived happily in this world. He fixed his eyes on all the world had to offer. He set himself up here apart from God. He said, I'm going to rule my own life. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to suck every bit of joy out of this world. And that Lamech was almost certainly wiped away in the waters of the flood if he lived that long. Never again do we hear of that family line. The two Lamechs are opposites. They're opposites. One had his heart and his eyes fixed on the here and now. He's living for himself. He's soaking in everything this world has to offer. He's saying, this looks good for food. This is a delight to the eyes. This is going to make me wise. I'm just going to embrace it all. This is my life. The other Lamech has his eyes fixed on the promises of God knowing this world is broken and sinful and the only escape, the only true life is going to be walking with God, trusting in him. I know he's going to send a rescuer. Now the story of the flood ends with God hanging up his rainbow in the sky, right? He takes his, his bow and arrow of war and he says, I'm done with that. And he promises he would never again judge the world with water, and that's a good thing. That is God's patience. But it is distinctly not a promise that he would never again judge. It's a promise of his patience, and God's patience is immense. He has been patiently waiting for, I don't know, about 4,500 years since the flood, waiting as people continue to walk in rebellion and sin waiting as he holds out his hand saying, come to me, trust in me, come, come walk with me, turn from your sin, come back to me. The flood was a warning. It was God's judgment on earth. And the only way through that judgment was to be safely hidden in the ark. But the final judgment is still coming. A final judgment of God where he will judge the living and the dead. Every soul who's ever lived will stand before him and give account for their lives. And we're sinners, all of us. And the only one who will escape that judgment are those who are safely hidden by repentance and faith in Christ. Those who are walking with God in Christ, who have his death on the cross to pay for their sin. Jesus is the one who gives us relief. He's the one who comes to rescue. Rescues us from the curse of sin. 
Where are your eyes at today? Are you like that first Lamech, trying to get comfortable in this world, trying to find the the joy and the satisfaction here in this broken world apart from God? Or are you like Lamech of the line of Seth, looking to the promise of God? This world is painful and it's broken and it's hard, but I'm trusting in him. I'm looking to his promise. I know that he will rescue because he is our only hope. It is only by trusting in him and walking with him that we have hope of life, that we have a way back to the blessing of God. Do you pray with me?